0: The word of the Lord from John chapter 20, verses 22 through 30. At that time, the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I, and the Father, are one. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Dear hearers in Christ, He is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. It's winter time. And Jesus is at the Feast of Dedication in Jerusalem. In other words, it's Hanukkah. If you're not familiar with Hanukkah, here's the quick story, and it's a good one. About 200 years before Jesus is born to Mary, the Jews are under the control of the Seleucids. One of the Seleucid kings, Antiochus Epiphanes, decides it's best to liberate the Jews from their religion And his plan is to do so by violence. He slaughters a pig on the altar at the temple in Jerusalem in order to desecrate the place. He declares the Old Testament practices to be illegal. And then he does things like torture and kill any parents who circumcise their newborn son. His reign is brutal, though brief. A rebellion grows, led by a man named Judas Maccabeus and the Jews drive the Seleucids out of Judea. When the Jews retake Jerusalem, history tells us that they rededicate the temple, building a new altar and consecrating the space. When they light the lamps in the temple as part of the ceremony, legend has it that they have only a day's worth of oil for the lampstands, but the lamps burn miraculously for seven days. And thus, you have Hanukkah, the festival of lights. It's considered a Jewish holiday, of course, but it's not non-Christian. After all, it's a story of people seeking to be faithful to God and His word as they await the coming of the Messiah. However, it does influence their view of what the Messiah will be like, and not really in a helpful way. See, they reason that if Judas Maccabeus drove out the Seleucids— then they expect the next Christ will drive out the Romans. The story of Hanukkah also means that there are a lot of little boys who get named Judas after the hero, but that's another story. So, Jesus is in Jerusalem for Hanukkah, walking in the temple grounds when the Jews surround him and say, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. They're having a difficult time pinning Jesus down. On the one hand, they know he's got plenty of power. He turns water into wine. He heals the sick. He makes the lame walk. He feeds 5,000 with a few loaves and fish. He makes the blind sea. He walks in the water. He calms storms with a word. In other words, he does a lot of God-like things that the Old Testament says that the Messiah will do. On the other hand... Jesus isn't getting any younger. If your standard for a Messiah is Judas Maccabeus, then, they figure, Jesus should be raising up his armies and preparing to battle the Romans rather than telling people to keep paying taxes to Caesar. There's also that little thing that when Jesus cleanses the temple, his adversaries note that unlike Judas Maccabeus, he's not driving out the Gentiles who have desecrated it, Instead, he drives out their merchants and their money changers, accusing them of defiling his father's house. You can understand their question then. How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. So Jesus tells them plainly again, he says, I told you, and you do not believe. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So here's what Jesus says about himself. He declares that the works he does answer the question. After all, in the Old Testament, it's God who feeds his people with miracle bread. And it's God who walks in the waves. It's God who commands storms to be still. In Old Testament prophecy, it's the Messiah who heals the sick, who makes the lame walk and the blind see. So, if his interrogators believe what Scripture says, then they will only conclude that Jesus is the Christ they've been waiting for, and far better than Judas Maccabeus, they'll believe that Jesus is also the Son of God. But if they don't believe Scripture, then they won't believe what Jesus tells them either. If they believe what the Old Testament says, then they'll rejoice when Jesus says, I and the Father are one. But they don't believe, so when he says it, they pick up stones to kill him. Jesus also describes his work as the Christ. He doesn't describe himself as a warrior king, a world conqueror, a revolutionary, or the usual sort of violent greatness you'd want to find when you're oppressed by the Romans and looking for the Messiah. Instead, Jesus defines his work as as a keeper of sheep, as a shepherd. Instead of the valiant swordsman who goes around killing off all the lions and bears and wolves, he says that he's the herdsman who tends the sheep who defends them when they are attacked, although even then, he's already said in this chapter that defending the sheep means that he lays down his life for them, which doesn't sound very victorious at all. In fact, if you're hoping that the Messiah is going to get rid of the Romans, then it's not encouraging when the Messiah says, follow me, because I'm going to let the Romans crucify me. And if you're the sheep, then what are the Romans going to do to you after they've offed the shepherd? Now, you have the benefit of hindsight and the big picture, so you know what's going on. As long as this messed up world turns, there will always be violence, there will always be evil people, there will always be tyrants. Since all are sinners— All will want to enact laws to curb evil, yet make room for their own sin. Jesus hasn't become flesh to kick out the Romans so that the next empire of sinners can take over. That's little stuff. Instead, Jesus has come to defeat sin and death and devil, and thus deliver his people not from the Romans, but to everlasting life where sin and suffering and tyranny are no more. To deliver his people, Jesus doesn't have to overcome the Roman Empire. He has to submit. Submit to suffering his father's wrath for the sins of the world. The shepherd lays down his life for the sheep so that whoever believes in him may not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus has laid down his life for you. And by his grace, he has called you to be numbered among the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. By his grace, you hear his voice, and you do what is unthinkable to old Adam. You confess your sinfulness, and you trust that Jesus has saved you by dying in your place. You believe that he is risen from the dead. And so you follow him because he lives and he reigns forever. Because he lives and reigns forever, he gives you eternal life. And though the devil, the world, and your own sinful flesh, all sore losers, will all tempt you to abandon him and leave life behind and embrace eternal death, there is no reason for them to succeed Because Jesus declares that no one will snatch you out of his hand. No one is able to snatch you out of the father's hand. That's added comfort because the father is greater than all. And the father and son are one. They've made you their own. You're not just baptized in the name of Jesus. You're baptized in the name of the father and of the son And of the Holy Spirit. However, it's tough to be a sheep. You tend to equate sheep with sitting ducks, because you know that sheep are relatively stupid, defenseless, and easily led astray, which you must admit is a pretty good description of sinners in the face of sin and death and devil. You also know that in the Bible, sheep aren't good for much else than getting fleeced and getting sacrificed, neither of which you find appealing. Being a sheep makes you feel targeted, and you'd rather be targeting others. But being a sheep also means that you follow the shepherd the shepherd who has laid down his life for you, the shepherd who has risen again, the shepherd who has conquered death and grave and who says to you, I give you eternal life. You will never perish and no one will snatch you out of my hand. He also tells you that repentance, humility, and even suffering lead to blessing. And while the thought of bearing a cross doesn't seem appealing, Keep in mind that Jesus bearing a cross worked out pretty well for you, so why wouldn't your own cross under his grace and blessing? This befuddles all sorts of churchgoers, and many churches get off track. Many see their mission foremost as becoming militant to change society for the better, even if their changes totally violate God's word. Or else they see their primary mission as fighting those who believe that totally violating God's word to change society is a good thing. All of a sudden, you've got a ton of churches that become tools for political agendas, who believe that the highest calling of the Christian is to remodel a world that is going to die anyway. Anyway. Many are led astray because they believe that being a Christian is all about leading some sort of victorious life and revolution and setting an example of prosperity. But the Messiah, the good shepherd, conquers by humility, submission, suffering, and death. Not by knocking heads and taking names. And he bids his people, his flock, to follow in his footsteps and take up the cross. Don't get me wrong. I'd rather live in a place where I'm free to practice Christianity. And I'm not suggesting that Christians stop voting or stop working for good laws, turn their backs on the fallen world and just hope for the best. But here, in this divine service, sheep get gathered by the shepherd to be fed. Fed and strengthened, you go out into the world and you do the right thing. You confess the Lord's word. You love your neighbor. You pay attention and work for good laws. And the last thing you do is turn your back on a fallen world. That's how the church helps the world. Foremost in the minds of Christians is following the shepherd because they hear his voice and that voice declares salvation. And if suffering and persecution come along, The sheep know that the Lord is still faithful and that the world clearly identifies them as followers of their Savior. As the flock in this place, we welcome all to hear God's word. Although Christianity is considered by the world to be militant, divisive, and intolerant, we actually could not be more inclusive, for we hold all to the same standard. When it comes to who is sinful and in need of repentance, we include all. When it comes to who Jesus died for, we include all. When it comes to those we pray would turn from their sin and live, we include all. That's not what the world wants to hear, because the world wants a Messiah who satisfies their agendas and sinful desires. But if you're satisfying sinful desires, you're not following the shepherd who has conquered sin and death. And if you think that in our current time, our old-fashioned message of sin and forgiveness isn't going to appeal to anyone, think again. People become followers of Jesus because they hear his voice and they follow him. The gospel is what he's given us to proclaim, The gospel is what gives salvation and life. And I dare say, there are a lot of people in need of hearing about deliverance from guilt and shame and death. That includes you. So rejoice that the Lord has gathered you in. The Lord is your shepherd and you need not want. He gathers you. He feeds you. He gives you rest. Together, here, we hear the voice of our shepherd and we receive his gifts. Together we rejoice and together we weep. We mourn when sheep wander away and we pray for their return. And always, we await the Lord to return in glory and deliver us. Until then, hear what Christ says plainly. He is the one, the holy son of God, who has conquered sin and death for you. He makes you know his words that you hear his voice. He gives you this promise to hold fast to always. I give you eternal life and you will never perish and no one will snatch you out of my hand. My Father, who has given you to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch you out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.